I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Back with you, another edition of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trent and Biz talking Hawkeye football and maybe a little basketball with you. Iowa fresh off. First loss of the season. They fall at the hands of Purdue once again, 24-7, the final in this one. Biz, a ugly, ugly day out there on the football field. And uh, the letdown that we were concerned about certainly showed up in a big way Saturday. Oh, well, welcome to the world of being an Iowa sports fan. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be highs and lows, Trent. We talk about it all the time. It's, uh, of us were necessarily surprised that we – Lost on Saturday, but I think both of us, or at least I can say I was definitely surprised at the way we lost on Saturday. I, I, not in a million years, I think we would get our, our butts handed to us by Purdue, but uh, we definitely did. That was, a, that was a pretty thorough butt kicking, and honestly, 24-7 to 7 probably doesn't do it justice. No, there's so many different directions you can go. Of course, a lot of people want to point to the quarterback, Spencer Petras, and unfortunately uh, for, for a lot of those people out there, I, a, I don't think there's an option behind him. And secondly, it's the offensive line. The offensive line by week seven, even when Iowa starts slow up front, unless there's a, a rash of injuries or something along those lines, they're going to be playing at least adequate football with the front five. That has not been the case this year. Those young offensive tackles are not ready. Mark Kallenberger leaving the program early with a year of eligibility certainly has hurt this program and impacted them in a big way. They're just not ready for prime time. You have one of the best centers in college football history, certainly in Iowa history, up front, and it just doesn't matter. The guards around him are not very good. The tackles are even worse. The offensive line, more than anything, I think that's what you point to. Even before Petrus, the inadequacies of the wide receiver position, you have to go up front first with this football team offensively. Well, you add into that, you've got a new offensive line coach. You've got, like you said, you've got a lot of youth along the line in general, and you and I have talked about this a lot over the what four or five years we've done this podcast or whatever it is now, but there's this false narrative out there that the Iowa line has been this dominant force. Right. And there's been times and games where it has, but consistency is always I you know, over the past five, six, seven years has always been a problem with our offensive line. You know, it's you look back a couple of years ago, you know, it cost us you know, the Michigan and Penn State games back-to-back a couple of years ago where the offensive line was atrocious. You know, we talked about it just two, three weeks ago. Going into that Penn State game, that was my biggest concern. And they, they, they put it together in the Penn State game and did all right. But the Purdue game, they got their butts kicked. I mean, and, you know, honestly, Trent, you look back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, But, you know, it was a perfect storm of circumstances as far as, you know, we talked about the letdown after the big win. You talk about a young team that got exposed in a few areas. You know, not just the O line, but the D line also got exposed. 
And then you know, four key injuries. Everybody knows about Riley Moss, but the three we didn't know about were all in three important areas. You know, Deontay Craig had become kind of a disruptor on that D-line, not having him hurt. You know, Cody Ince, I think, is probably the most steady of the guards we have out there, and not having him hurt. And then Lachey, I think we would have used him to chip and help with Karloftis a lot, and not having him hurt as well. So, you know, a lot of, uh, like I said, the important thing of all those circumstances is, is give credit to the opponent. Purdue played great. <laughs> they, they played really, really well. They played not perfect football either, and that's the scary thing is there was a drop pick six. Of course, the guy diving for the pylon, the ball coming out as he threw it at the pylon and get the touchback there. Iowa proceeds to go three and out right afterwards. They score directly after the punt, and it's 24-7, and it was over at that point. Just no hope of even having a comeback there. At 17-7, you were inside the stadium, Biz. Was there a buzz? Was there a murmur? Was there was there hope inside a Kinnick Stadium that, yeah, it's not going well, but, hey, this is Iowa. The way this season's going, there's going to be a comeback, or did it feel like it was with me uh, and the kids on the couch? They're not coming back from any deficit. No, I think there was still hope. I mean, the stadium was, I mean, there was, people were trying to be energized. It was a good, good crowd. People were trying to be fired up. I mean, at 17-7, there was definitely some concern. But I think once you had the, the fumble under the pylon, I mean, I think people were really energized. And for a couple minutes, you had that buzz of, hey, this is, this is our year. This is kind of the moment we'll look back at and say, boy, we're living right. And then, of course, three plays later, uh, <laughs> any hope was kind of distinguished when you extinguished when you had a sack sack incomplete pass punt so uh you know to me that the whole game changed i saw somebody talked about what they describe as the middle eight trent which is the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half and to me that was the key to the game because up until that middle eight we you know we had just scored to make it seven seven with 320 i think it was to go in the first half we had just had two really, really good drives in a row. We went 17 plays, got down inside the five and missed the field goal, and then went something like 12 plays, drove down and scored. And, you know, we had started to wear them down a little bit, I think, too. At that point, time of possession was, I think, like 16 minutes to nine in favor of us. And, and then they drive down and score. They get the ball to start the second half. They drive right back down. They get a field goal. And in that middle eight, it goes from 7-7 seven, seven to – to 17-7. So to me, that was that was the turning point. Was there still hope at 17-7? to Yeah, but, you know, that was – it was a big turnaround. And as we'll talk about in a minute here with, with Stat Boy Info, I mean, what they did from 7-7 to to 24-7 to is, is pretty incredible. Uh, finally, before we get into some Stat Boy numbers, let's take a look at David Bell. And I was inability for the third consecutive year – to do anything against him. Now, injuries played a role, as you said, with Riley Moss out. Hankins left the game for a while, came back in, certainly looked like he was favoring one side as he came back into the game. But 11 receptions on 12 targets, 240 yards, a touchdown. They didn't do more to try to negate what David Bell was. That was the frustrating aspect of this. You knew coming in, they had two star players, Karloftis on one side and David Bell on the other. And it just didn't feel like Iowa tried to do enough to take Bell out of the game. Yeah, I can't argue with any of that. I mean, the amazing thing is, like you say, only had 12 targets. And I would say, you know, being there in person, I'd say half of those 12 targets, he was not the primary read. Mm-hmm. And they, they, you know, credit to their offensive line. Yes. 
O'Connell had all day to throw, and we'll, we'll talk about how well Aiden O'Connell played here in a little bit. But uh, let's start with Bell. I had Stat Boy look into a couple different things of David Bell, and, and this is pretty crazy, Trent. You, you talked about, you know, his yardage. The third straight game, as everybody knows, he had more than 10 catches against us, and his three-game total is 37 catches, 558 yards, and five touchdowns. This is Phil Parker's 10th year as our defensive coordinator. So David Bell has, has gone for 10-plus catches three times against the Hawks. How many times in all of the other games combined has Phil Parker's defense given up 10-plus catches to any wide receiver, any tight end, any running back not named David Bell? Uh, let's say four. You're, you're, just, you're still too high. Three. <laughs> Only three times in the 10 years has he given up 10 catches uh, to anyone else not named David Bell. So, uh, you know, two takeaways from that. We'll talk about who those three were in a second because there's some pretty interesting names. But uh, two things to take away from that. One, David Bell is just really, really freaking good. And Jeff Brom just has our number. For whatever reason, you know, the week before, is David Bell that much better than Dotson from Penn State? I don't think he is. But Dotson had, what, 17 targets, and we held him in check. So, Whatever David, whatever David Bell and Jeff Brom have figured out on Phil Parker, uh, they've done what no one else can do. So, uh, you know, let, let, you, know, you want to chat about the other three because it, you know, it shows you there's some uh, NFL talent that he's uh, following behind for people that have, uh, have have had huge games against the Phil Parker D. Well, you mentioned uh, the first name that jumped into my mind was James Hardy, but Phil Parker wasn't the defensive coordinator against James Hardy of Indiana, so it can't be him who's on this list. Correct. Yeah, I initially had Statboy look into you know ten plus catches going back to the start of the Ferentz era, but you kind of forget with Norm's uh, bend but don't break defensive philosophy. We had a lot of guys catch ten passes. A lot of them were ten catches for seventy two yards. But uh, you know, with Phil being a little more aggressive, it's only happened three times with actually two players because somebody did it back to back years against us. So. Um, the person that did it back-to-back, and I don't think you'll get it even with some hints, but 2014 and 2015, we had a wide receiver that caught a total of 20 passes for 284 yards against us. Any idea who that would be? He's in the NFL now. Alan Lazard. Good guess, but it's actually Tyler Boyd from Pitt. Oh, yeah. Tyler Boyd, 10 for 153 in 2014, 10 for 131 in 2015. The third time it happened was a game we just talked about a couple weeks ago, possibly the greatest offensive performance uh, of our lives in Kinnick Stadium. Remember who it was? 55-24 game you're talking about? No, no. I'm talking about a offensive performance by a, a uh, an individual player in Kinnick Stadium. Individual player at Kinnick, Saquon Barkley. Correct. Saquon Barkley caught 12 passes for 94 that day. So that's it. There's your list. That's the list of people who have caught 10 or more passes outside of David Bell. So, you know, I hear people griping and moaning about, you know, not being prepared. You know, we've talked about Phil Parker ad nauseum here. The man's an absolute genius. But uh, for whatever reason, uh, Jeff Brown's got his number right now. Absolutely does. And uh, Purdue played at a high level. You mentioned that offensive line hadn't been playing at a high level. And it felt like kind of everything that we had concerns about coming into the year. Young offensive line. Defensive line, where's the pressure going to come from? Quarterback, they all showed up in a big way against Purdue, but a lot of the credit goes to Purdue 
just how good that Purdue team was. It was a surprise. I knew they were better defensively. I, you could see that from the numbers and the way they were playing. But overall, and O'Connell, who had not been the better of the two quarterbacks this year, had been Plummer, though they played three, Aiden O'Connell was excellent too. Excellent doesn't really do it justice, Trent. Again, let's go to Stat Boy. You can make an argument that Aiden O'Connell just played the best game that any quarterback has played against a Kurt Ferentz coach team in, in 20 plus years. And, and the numbers back it up. He, he may have played the best game we, we've seen. And if you're there in person, you know it was, it was windy. I mean, it, it was a strong 15, 20 mile an hour crosswind. These were not ideal conditions, but he put the ball where it needed to be all day long. So let, let's get into the numbers because uh, numbers alone, I think you can make a strong argument. It was the best game we've seen from a quarterback and uh, Kirk's 22 plus years. So just break it down. He went 30 for 40, 75% completion. He threw for 368 yards. He had no interceptions. So what my question to Stat Boy was, has anybody ever done that before? Has anybody ever completed 70% I even lowered the numbers a little bit. Lowered the numbers. Anybody completed more than 70% of their passes, over 350 yards, and no picks? And the answer is no. It's never, <laughs> ever happened against the Kirk Ferentz Iowa team. Over 70%, over 350 yards, and no interceptions. So there's three guys that have come close, and all three of them are kind of fun to, to, to reminisce about. So the first name's obvious, Trent. You'll remember the game right away. Carson Palmer. Oh, yeah. When and where? Uh, USC and uh, the Orange Bowl. Correct. He, he threw for only 68%, but uh, threw for over 300 yards and uh, no interceptions. So numbers are close, but uh, honestly, if it was a closer game down the stretch, you probably would have gotten the numbers. Mm-hmm. Number two, I'll give you the name, and if you can remember who he played for, I'll be really impressed. Uh, all right. Tim Hiller, the legendary Tim Hiller, Trent. Tim Hillard played for Western Michigan. You are correct. You remember the game? Uh, was it the 06 uh, need the win to get in a bowl game? You're one year off. 07. 07, yeah. End of the year, mm-hmm. 2007. We need the win to get to the bowl game, and we get, we get threaded by the legendary Tim Hiller. <laughs> he throws for 357, three touchdowns and no picks, but we held him to only 58%. So uh, he had all of it except for the completion percentage. So Not a fun memory. All right, let's get one more. So the closest it happened actually was only a couple of years ago. It was uh, Tanner Morgan mm. in 2019. If you remember, uh, we got off to the great start, and then Morgan uh, played an unbelievable game and almost brought him all the way back. Uh, he threw for 368 yards, a couple touchdowns, no picks, but couldn't quite meet the threshold, only 69% completion. So that's the uh, that's those are the closest. So, again, Aiden O'Connell, first quarterback ever to to get, reach those numbers against Kirk's, Kirk and obviously against Phil as well. So, And if you remember, Trent, I did the math real quick. This is a defense that when you add up Penix, Purdy, Tagovailoa, and the Penn State quarterbacks, they went 55 for 128 <laughs> with two touchdowns and 16 picks. And then Aiden O'Connor turns around and goes 30 for 40 for uh, 375 and two touchdowns and zero picks. So, you know, there's times, Trent, you just got a tip of the ball cap. So to give credit to Purdue. They had a great game plan. They came in and executed the game plan, and we got what we deserved on Saturday. So anything else on Purdue? They, you're right. Those those guys have scholarships too, and they they got everything that they deserved in another 
Victory over a top two ranked team. They kept showing that stat. Purdue just finds a way, apparently, in these games to get it done. Anything else on the trains before we move on? Yeah, one last thing. Well, let's cleanse it here, Trent, and just talk about just how unbelievable of a of a debacle it was from seven to seven to, to twenty four to seven. Oh, so yeah. we're just going to break down plays, time of possession, and third downs from the moment we tied it seven to seven to the moment David Bell caught it to go twenty four to seven. They ran 40 plays for 272 yards. We ran nine plays for four yards. Hmm. Time of possession, they had the ball for 16 minutes, 29 seconds. We had the ball for four minutes and two seconds. Third downs, they went seven for eight. The only one they didn't convert was a third and 16 where they completed or caught for 14 yards and set themselves up for the field goal. (laughs) We went over two. So... It couldn't have had a much worse 20-minute stretch. Uh, we talked about a couple weeks ago, Maryland, uh, the second quarter being one of the best uh, quarters in Iowa history. Uh, that 20-minute stretch might be one of the worst in Iowa history. So uh, with that, Trent, we'll, we'll flush it and move on. Let's flush it and move on. We start to take a look forward here. So is this the cons- – looking forward here, five games left of the regular season, what do you see? Where are your concerns and – are you ready to actually flush this, or is there a lot of lingering doubt with you? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, you wouldn't be an Iowa fan if you didn't have some lingering doubt. But, uh, you know, based on past experiences, Iowa programs generally do a really good job of flushing these games and moving on. Um, You know, unfortunately, going to Wisconsin is never easy. And with their defense, it's never going to be pretty. But, uh, you know, I'm confident. Well, we're a better team than we showed on Saturday. Are we the number two team in the nation? No. And we talked about it before. We're, you know, we could be three, we could be 33. But, you know, I'm still confident this team can win the Big Ten West and they, and they can get to Indy. You know, am I as confident as I was a week ago? Absolutely not. But you look at Purdue's schedule, I think it's very unlikely that Purdue is going to be the one that, that comes out of the Big Ten West. They've, they've got a brutal schedule remaining. Uh, but you take care of business, you know, you, you, you win the games you need to down the stretch here. There's not a man. I think we're going to be favored in all five games mm-hmm. down the stretch. And, you know, I don't know. I, am I concerned? Yes. Am I, you know, ready to, ready to wave the, the white flag at this point? Absolutely not. I, I'm confident in our coaching staff. I'm confident in our players that they will come out and put up a good effort against Wisconsin. But, uh, you know, when, when you have this many limitations on the offensive side of the ball, you never know. Got some numbers for you. You mentioned the rest of the way. This is from Elite Sportsbook. Five remaining games, and they have all the games listed for the Hawkeyes. Iowa currently a two-and-a-half-point favorite at Wisconsin, favored by eight-and-a-half a a week later at Northwestern. The Gophers getting 11-and-a-half in Kinnick in three weeks from there. Illinois plus 16, and then finish up the Iowa Hawkeyes favored by five-and-a-half at Nebraska. So they are favored in each of the remaining games, at least according to Elite Sportsbook. 
So it's easy, right? Just do what you're supposed to, and we're back in Indy and a game away from the college football playoff. I see no reason to even uh, play the game. So yeah. We'll just move on. But as you and I know, no, nobody is worse at uh, estimating lines, future <laughs> lines in elite sports book. Uh, I'll give you an example this week. Uh, Michigan plays Northwestern. Four days ago, you could get that line at 11 and a half. Jeez. It's 24. So they were off by, a, off by an incredible 12 and a half points. So, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't. All those lines, if you see any you love, jump on them now because Elite is not uh, – whoever's doing the, the pronosticating at Elite uh, may need to look for a new job because if you're, if you're paying attention, you can find some, uh, some absolute gems out there. Uh, just go look at the Alabama-LSU line for, for one, Trent. Uh, if you haven't bet on Alabama yet, you definitely should. That is uh, good, good work. And, well, we are the Degenerate Hawkeyes, so helping our fellow gamblers out there looking forward at Elite – and you can uh, sign up anywhere in the state. Don't have to even go in person anymore to get signed up and get your account set up with them. All right, I got another number. This is from Statboy. He helped me out this week. Just wondering, I was record coming off of a buy. These numbers go back since 2003, so a couple years into the Kirk era. But uh, from there, after a buy, just straight up, Iowa has played 34 games. Guess what Iowa's record is off a of buy since 03? I think we actually broke this down a couple of years ago, Trent, but it was not great, but not terrible for members. So I'll go, let's go 20 and 14. Best, of course, is Ohio State. They win all the time, but they are 26 and 8 against the number, followed by Wisconsin, Nebraska, and then the Hawkeyes after that. That is straight up after a bye. Now we go next to against the spread. Talked about the spread there. Iowa even a little bit better, 21 and 13 against the number coming off a bye that is also fourth best in the Big Ten. Rutgers leads the way. How about Rutgers off a bye against the spread? 29-13 and 13 since 2003. Now, a number of those years were in the Big East, so a little bit different there with the Scarlet Knights, but still, Rutgers, Wisconsin, Northwestern, there's Iowa, 21-13. and 13. So, not great, not terrible, just sitting in the meaty part of the curve. I know you like that, Biz. Yeah. Well, to me, the, the key is coming off this bye week I think what happens Wisconsin-Purdue this weekend is really going to be important because, you know, the fact of the matter is Wisconsin almost controls its own destiny because, you know, they're, they're a game back of, of uh, Purdue, Minnesota, and, and Iowa, but they get to play all three of those teams. And, you know, I know Wisconsin's been a mess, but if, if they beat Purdue and they, they come in ready to roll against us, they can be right back in the driver's seat to get to Indy. And, but on the flip side – if they get beat at Purdue, they're a team I think that could. You know, I see they just had a their kick returner just decided to enter the transfer portal this week. You know, I think their fans are much much angrier than Iowa fans right now. They're not happy with Mertz. They're not happy with the game plans. You know, th- this is kind of a telling week for me for Wisconsin. If, if, if Purdue can do remotely close to what they did uh, to us and and win, I could see a Wisconsin team that's. Uh, not ready to play come 11 a.m. Uh, in front of about a half-full half uh, Camp Randall that morning. Yeah, I, I think uh, no doubt you're rooting for Purdue this weekend and soften Wisconsin up even more. After that, Purdue, though, still has to go to Nebraska, Michigan State at home, then to Ohio State before they're wrapping up at Northwestern and Indiana. So though Purdue controls their own destiny, I'm rooting for the Boilermakers this week. And the Gophers still there, I think, with an opportunity. Yeah, that Bowling Green loss was hideous, but... What they've done their last couple of games, beating Purdue, beating Nebraska, they get Maryland, Northwestern, Illinois the next three weeks. 
we very well could be talking about a 7-2 and Gopher team making their way into Kinnick Stadium there in November. Oh, that, that would... Uh, PJ can bring his uh, assortment of seven or eight linemen in and, and try, to, try to out-tough the Hawks once again. It hasn't worked for him in the past, and uh, you know, hopefully it won't work for him again in, in, in three weeks. I am with you there. So that's football biz. We got a bye week here. We'll look forward to a little basketball talk. It was media day last week over in Iowa City. The Hawkeyes come in with not huge expectations. I saw Matt Norlander of CBSSports.com had them ranked, I think, what, in the 60s, something like that overall as he ranked all 350-some college basketball teams at the D1 level. Weird year. Just feels so different. Obviously, the departure of Luca Garza at the forefront of things. So... Just an overview, where you are right now when you look at this squad. I would say I lean more pessimistic than, than optimistic towards this ball. I mean, J-Bo coming back helped, but across the board, where, where are they going to get three-point shooting? They've, they've got some talent, they got some athletes, but you know, Keegan Murray is not a great outside shooter. Patrick McCaffrey's not a great outside shooter. Tucson's a poor outside shooter. You know, the jury's still out on Euless and Perkins and whether they can shoot the ball. You know, J-Bo is, as we know, a very streaky shooter. Um, you know, I worry about shooting. And then, obviously, there's always the worry about can Fran's teams play defense. And I, I just worry, especially with this team, interior defense is going to be a problem. There's not a lot of uh, – unless Josh Agundale proves me wrong and, and can be a, a Big Ten force, which I just don't think he can be. I worry that they don't have a they don't have a lot of meat inside to uh, withhold the, withstand the grind of a Big Ten season. So I think they'll be enjoyable to watch, but I don't think they're going to be all that good. I'm kind of right there with you. I think it's going to be entertaining at times. There's probably going to be a couple upsets in there. The Big Ten is loaded once again this season. Michigan, Purdue ranked in the top five. Uh, you got uh, six, seven teams that are on the fringes or in the top 25 of the poll that came out the other day. So. I think it's going to be a very competitive Big Ten. And for the expectation, I said, well, you know, can they be on the bubble? I, I think that's even too much for this squad. Can they fight to get to 500 and maybe sneak in the back door of the NIT? I think that's a more realistic goal here to get there. Just keep your head above water. Now, it's going to open up with those first six games against the absolute dregs of college basketball. An opportunity to get right there, but it, I don't see this team being able to be there competing. We're sitting there, you know, in the last second to last week of February – you know what, if they win three out of their last four and win a couple of games in the Big Ten tournament, no, I don't think that's a realistic goal with this squad. I think everything would have to fall right for this team to be a, a legit NCAA tournament team. And not, not saying they can't, but I mean, you'd have to have Keegan Murray would have to take that next step that everybody's hoping, and he'd have to be a legitimate you know, first-team Big Ten player. J-Bo would have to stay healthy and you know, transition back to, to off-guard and then, I mean, most importantly, Joe Toussaint would have to take a, a big step and be, you know, a legit, you know, Big Ten point guard. Which, you know, I know people love Joe Toussaint, but I'm I'm very skeptical that he can play 25, 30 minutes a game and and be a, you know, a benefit to us. So, yeah, again, I I look forward to watching the team. I, I'm going into it with low expectations, so uh, hopefully they uh, they prove you and I wrong, and we're looking at a a team that can somehow get to 2022 wins and, and you know go to the tournament and see what happens. Prove us wrong, Hawks. That's what we're looking for this year. And uh, plenty of basketball coming up in the weeks and months to come. Biz, 
Ready to make some picks here? You know, I was thinking, we didn't usually we say, well, what's the big national game? What are we going to pick this week? We didn't even do that. What do you think is the biggest national game? Game day this week is at the Oregon at UCLA game. That thing, uh, yuck. Uh, I have an argument. I want to hear what you think. What's the biggest game nationally? Sadly, I think it's probably the Iowa State game. It is. Either Oregon, UCLA. I mean, those two. Those two are really the only two that are even in the discussion. It's a it's a bad week of football. The, the one week that I can sit on my couch and watch football because <laughs> the Hawks aren't playing, and it's uh, mediocre at best. Wisconsin at Purdue is in the conversation. Think of that. That's in the conversation for one of the biggest, not Big Ten games, national games of the week. It is a hideous one. And the NFL Sunday, not a whole lot better either. Six teams are on a bye. You have three different point spreads right now that are two touchdowns or more. Bears, well, I guess it's down to 13.5 right now against the Buccaneers. Uh, the Texans are getting 17.5 against the Cardinals. And the Rams, 15-point uh, favorites against the Lions. So not a great day you're Sunday. I, you're saying I should relent and go to the frickin' Apple Orchard yeah, this week? This is the time. I, th- I think uh, you need to build up some points because you got November and December in front of you and a lot of football watching. Yeah, I, 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 will, I will reluctantly agree, Trent, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I'm sure you know the, the good thing about college football is even when you even when you go into the week thinking mm-hmm. it doesn't look very exciting, uh, usually very rarely do you go get come out the back end of a college football weekend and say, "Boy, that was boring." Well, Biz, uh, I want to thank you first of all for being awful last week. Got me right back into the mix. Mark Stoops helping me out of that late touchdown, using the timeout late as Kentucky gets the cover against Georgia, and now you're just a game and a half in front of me. Uh, we don't need to say the records, okay? Well, I got I got hosed. Oh, I've got hosed in the last minute of two more games, Trent. I think my last two weeks, I've had four games. Where I've been on the right side until the last minute. The, the under for the Gophers game, yeah, went over because it, Nebraska got meaningless touched touchdown, and like you said, Kentucky uh, got a meaningless touchdown late in the game as well. So uh, I, I'm that close, Trent. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep uh, keep pretending that I'm doing well. You're kissing the sister you don't have. You're ten, ten, and one against the number. I'm nine and twelve. As we have two games this week, obviously with the Hawkeyes off, let's kick things off with that big national game. Iowa State favored by a touchdown against Oklahoma State. I see this as an easy handicap, and I'm not using the stupid Brocktober thing for Brock Purdy. Oklahoma State is not good offensively. They can run the football a little bit, but Spencer Sanders has not progressed as a quarterback that way I anticipated when I saw him a couple of years ago for the first time as a freshman I think Iowa State throttles them. I think this is an easy victory. They cruise in. I will lay the touchdown with confidence. One of probably one of my favorite bets this early in the week of the season. Give me the clones. Well, let, let's hope for the kiss of death here, Trent, because I am in one hundred percent agreement with you. And um, you know, I, I've been, I, I've had, I've been doubtful of Oklahoma State all year long, and they, they've proved me wrong all year long. If you remember way back three four weeks ago, I. Boise State was my uh, oh, yeah. lock of the week against Oklahoma State, and they proved me wrong then. So let's hope let's hope they prove us wrong again this week. And you know, I, I just think Oklahoma State uh, they've had three or four big games in a row. I think they're running out of gas a little bit. Meanwhile, Iowa State's uh, rested, and, and we've reached that point of the season where Iowa State will be amazing for a three four week stretch, and their fans can can talk about what could have been, and if only they could play Iowa this week and. It's an annual annual tradition with Iowa State fans. So I hope we're both wrong. I hope Oklahoma State 
somehow finds a way to win the game, but uh, I'm right there with you. I like Iowa State a lot at minus seven. All right, favorite of the week, our uh, best bet of the week this week. I'm going to go out to the Mountain West. San Diego State undefeated 6-0. and I watched them Friday night against San Jose State, and they are dreadful offensively. Just absolutely hideous to watch. It is not fun. The uh, total this week in their matchup with Air Force is 40. Air Force favored by three. I'm going to lay it with them. Air Force is 6-1 and on the year. They're playing good football. I just can't trust the San Diego State team offensively. So I'll lay it. Give me Air Force minus the three. Speaking of dreadful offenses, Trent, you don't think you'd ever say this, but Clemson's offense is dreadful as well. I, I watched a lot of that Syracuse game, and Syracuse should have beat them. They, they, they found ways not to win that game. And uh, Pitt, I feel like this is kind of a statement game for Pitt. I think they're, they're going in the right direction. Clemson's going in the wrong direction. Spread should be way higher than three. I'm not going to overthink it. Give, give me, uh, give me Pitt, Pitt Panthers uh, minus three against Mighty Clemson. I think that's a good one, too. And uh, Kenny Pickett getting himself in the Heisman conversation. How about that? What a world we're living in. Kenny Pickett, a Heisman contender. Biz, uh, one more gambling note. Mentioned at Elite Sportsbook right now, I was favored by two and a half against Wisconsin. Take us forward to Sunday afternoon when the point spreads start to come out. What is the total going to be? And let's say Wisconsin wins or loses to Purdue, 16-13 or something like that. Kind of a standard game. What's the total going to be in the Iowa-Wisconsin game? I think 38 is about as low as they ever go. Wasn't yeah. that the total in the Wisconsin Army game? Uh-huh. I mean, I, I, so I'll go 38. I can't remember them ever start. Very rarely do you see them start a college football game under 38. So actually, give me, give me 38 and a half to start. We'll, we'll go with that, Trent. 38 and a half and see where the gamblers go. I was thinking the same thing and trying to – Rack my brain. I think we got an off-week assignment for Statboy there. Try to find us the the lowest uh, totals that we've had, both in the Big Ten and maybe overall in college football over the last oh, 20, 25 years, and see if Statboy can get to work on that one before we reconverge next week. So those are our picks for the week. Bisgard is on Iowa State minus 7 and Pitt minus 3. I'm also on the Clones minus 7, and I'll lay the field goal with Air Force. Before we get out of here, Time once again for Biz's Beat. Hey, kids, gather around for Biz's Beat of the Day. Okay, here's Biz's Beat of the Day. Hey, Trent, obviously a, a, a sad few days to be an Iowa fan, but, but it could always be worse. I, I assume or hope by now you've seen the two-minute video of the, the batshit crazy Nebraska fan on the field at, at Minnesota and his epic two-minute rant. So if uh, if you haven't watched it yet, make sure you go out and watch it. It's pretty great. It's uh, a crazy guy who somehow got a, a a press credential and was on the field, and and he ends his uh, rant with the, the classic quote of, uh, there's no hope, F everything, go Big Red. So uh, <laughs> I don't think we've reached that level of Iowa frustration uh-huh. after the one loss. So, uh, you know, I'll just stick with my, my just just going with go Hawks. I don't think we need the uh, there's no hope, F everything part at this point. But uh, it, it can always be worse. It can always be a, a Husker fan trend. Very, very true. Yeah, it was an ugly one and uh, a hilarious video on top of it. I think he was a photographer video, probably as a fan. And he's no Larry Kirshner from the Mitchell County Press News, that's for sure. What's old Larry up to, I wonder, these days? I hope he's, I hope he's out there making uh, YouTube videos as well, because apparently this guy's a pretty well-known 
like he runs like Corn Nation or Corn, okay. some, some some Nebraska website. He's been doing it for a long time. So uh, he 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 didn't just randomly get on the field. I guess he's been in, he's been a he's been an integral part of a Cornhusker Cornhusker fandom for quite a while. Which when you see the video, it seems about right. Biz, with that, we will get out of here a week to lick their wounds, and we'll be back at it next week as we get ready for Wisconsin. Talk to you then. All right, no game, but uh, still go on.